0: When you're really down and out, the next thing you should think about is not why you're down and out and how bad things are, because that's yesterday's newspaper. If you do that, you're stuck in the past. You can't change yesterday's newspaper. So what I just did was I just thought ahead of what's the next thing to do tomorrow? What's the next thing after this? Who do I call next? How do I make another sale? That was all in my mind. And I would say the same thing to anyone that's down and out or homeless.
1: You can't change yesterday's newspaper. What is up you sexy bastards, it's your boy Tapas, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk to the one and only John Paul DeJoria of Paul Mitchell Haircare and Patron Tequila. John Paul is a billionaire, not just once, but twice, and both of his companies are billion dollar empires, and this guy didn't have anything handed to him. He grew up on the streets of LA, he's been homeless twice, I guess he likes to do everything in twos. He's also lived off $2 a day, and he has hustled so hard and inspiring to make his dreams happen. Now this conversation happened because I thought I saw him on the street when I was biking, went up to him, it was him, asked for the interview, and over a year of seeing if we could finally do it, it happened, and it was even better than I expected. He was so kind and so inspirational. I am so glad I get to share this conversation with him, as well as all the ad revenue from the YouTube video, which is now going viral with him. If you want to see the YouTube version, go to youtube.com slash okdork. Is going to John Paul DeJoria's charity called peacelovehappinessfoundation.org or the Sumo charity where we buy laptops for kids so they can have the same opportunity to play online and make money with computers like we do. You can check out his organization, peacelovehappinessfoundation.org, and his documentary, goodfortunemovie.com, which I have watched. It is amazing. If you ever want to learn about how to scale billion-dollar brands in totally unrelated industries, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. One, how knocking on doors made him a billionaire. Two, why you do not want to be in the selling business. Three, why you can't believe what people tell you about yourself. Enjoy those three things, plus an insanely amount more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, if you don't know, I am launching a book coming out next year called Million Dollar Weekend about how to launch a business, have fun in 48 hours. Email me, book at If you're interested in being a part of our launch team, what you get is digital and audio versions of the book. You get access to me, I'll hang out with you in Slack. You get to see behind the scenes of how a book is created and how it is marketed. Again, send me an email, book at okdork.com if you are interested to say, yo man, I'm interested, or whatever it is you want to say at book at okdork.com. Also, if you have wanted to launch your own business, maybe it'll be a billion dollar one, maybe it be a million dollar one, maybe it'll just be a thousand dollar one, I want to help you out. We have a course, I think it's just 20 bucks, it might be a little bit higher by the time you've seen this episode, because we do raise the prices, because honestly, it's pretty damn valuable called monthly 1k we've helped thousands of people i think actually tens of thousands of people and i want to help you too so if you need support if you need strategies if you need accountability go to okdork.com slash monthly 1k to sign up today that's okdork.com slash monthly 1k also special pre-show shout out to listener gerard Kono. damn great name sounds like someone who's been surfing like he's listening to this podcast on his surfboard. He said irreverent and jam-packed with great info noah has a great casual interview style quick episodes deep insights often amusing He's a self-made millionaire that gives solid advice to budding entrepreneurs. Damn, that was really nice. Thank you, man. I love you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. Thank you for the feedback. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review where you ever listen to the show. I check every single one of them. Do you know, we met on the street. I was on my bicycle. You,
0: you, you pedal down the street while <laughs> Elvis and I were walking down our road and there all of a sudden you were. I thought, what an enthusiastic guy. One day I'll get to him. I kept my promise. It took yes, a few sir. months, but yes, one sir. day we did
1: it. I really, I, I really wanted to oh, you. a happy
0: guy. you were enthusiastic. And I hope your website and your, your podcast is doing extremely well.
1: Yeah, our, our mission is to inspire the underdogs. Oh, go for you. And just go, to go, help go, other go. people uh, you know, on their own business journeys. I have run my own software company. One thing I'm reflecting on lately is just... Um, Trying to just be like, wow, it is, it's much better than, than I think it is. And I don't know if I'm always appreciative of how good life is. Mm-hmm. And that's just something I'm trying to be more mindful Like, dude, this is awesome. Oh, no, it definitely is. And people have to know also that the American dream is very,
0: very alive. When I started Paul Mitchell, and I wish i get the story out to the world. And hopefully, you'll quadruple your viewing audience, and maybe they'll quadruple gets it out. But people are thinking things are very difficult today compared to many, many years back. Not true. In 1980 and 81, inflation in the United States was 12.5%. Unemployment was 10.5%. If you could get a loan, if you could get a loan, prime rate was 17% interest, if you could get a loan. Okay, and we waited in line for gasoline around the block. And we had no money. And that's how I started Paul Mitchell. Yeah, we struggled. And we had major cosmetic companies out there, obviously, that had money advertising. We had nothing other than door-to-door sales and the belief that what we had was really, really good. It was difficult, and uh, people ask, when did you know you made it? Because you started out in your car and all that. And I tell them all, I knew it after two years. And what was the big hurrah? The big hurrah was we could pay our bills on time. We were always late. <laughs> you know? It was like we thought, we have it made now. We could pay our bills on time. And Paul Mitchell, who was my hairdressing partner at the time, uh, and his girlfriend, who was just wonderful. She did a lot of our hair shows for us. Great lady, Jean Braugh. We all had $2,000 each to split up. It was very exciting. You know, plus our bills were paid on time. Then we knew we made it. You think the American Dream is alive just as much now as it was back then? Oh, I think that today there's more of an opportunity. For example, for me to get stationary, I would go to a print shop where they would type set for $3.50, name our P.O. box that cost me $16 in Universal City, right? So we'd have that type set for us and $3.50 and then they'd make a copy. And then for other copies, for stationery, it was four cents a copy in those days off a of Xerox machine. Uh, and then envelopes, same thing. You bought the envelope and they would run them for you and charge you just, just a few cents each just to run them there for you. Today, you have computers. There, we had nothing. We didn't have cell phones in those days. They were just being invented. They were gigantic things. So what do we have? An answering machine. So I had like a regular answering machine I bought and used a friend's phone. And that was her office and brought this English lady uh, who was a dear friend of my beautiful lady, Carrie airline. And uh, she was so kind and wonderful. She put her voice on her machine so we looked bigger. It wasn't just a hairdresser living (laughs) in Hawaii and his girlfriend in JP in LA, you know. Uh, We had an actual, met with an English accent where she would go, hello, John Paul Mitchell Systems. Oh, thank you for calling. We're all out now. Things are so busy, but I'll try to see if I can JP to call you back later, you know. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Well, of course, I'm going to call back later. There was nobody to call but me. So that's a very, very skimmy. So today, that's how we started. But We had the passion to work. And I see today many young people don't have that passion to work. I've been working since, well, part-time at seven years old, more full-time, part-time job from 11 till today. I sold newspapers in the morning or delivered them for the LA Examiner and then would go to school. And then when I was old enough to get a job after school, I had a job after school. I've been working since, but I'd like to work. And In those days, you got a job because it was cool to have a job. Yeah, I gave the money to my mom and so to my brother because we wanted to have a little better way of life. But the fact we had a job made us so happy. We care less we made money. We had a job. <laughs> how do you think people can find that passion? It just that's how we grew up. We grew up with nothing, virtually nothing. And there was a chance to actually have a job and make money. It was a big deal. You know, it wasn't like mom takes
1: care of you. We help take care of mom. You know, coming back to where, where you were talking about, like you you were actually homeless during this yeah. time. You oh, did yeah. it twice. So what, what happened? How did you get homeless? Well, we had a
0: backer. I knew for sure with my experience in the professional beauty industry, I needed half a million dollars to start a hair care company. So... My partner and I made a deal. You take thirty percent. I'll take thirty percent. We have control. That's sixty percent of the company, and we'll give the forty percent to anyone that'll give us uh, and invest, uh, you know, five hundred thousand dollars with us, half a million bucks. And we had somebody set up uh, a fellow named Dick Holthouse from a corporation called Citicorp. He was overworking in Europe as a friend of mine. He had an investor. Out of the island of Jersey, which is between uh, England and, <laughs> and France, a little you know. There, anyways, uh, it's a business. There. So uh, he got to invest the money. So my relationship at the time was not going well at all. So I left whatever money I had because I had a pretty good job. I quit everything I was doing. What, what was the left job? What, uh, right before I started this company, I was a consultant to companies. If you wanted to enter the beauty industry. And, uh, you know, that's what I was doing. But I quit everything. Everything I had, I just quit. Because half a million dollars is coming, you know, in. And that's, that's 1980. So anyways, I left the, the newer car. I took the older car and uh, left the house and a bunch of money for my wife and my daughter. Said he'd be fine for a few months, right? Went down the hill to get the money. Never arrived. A friend of mine ran me down. Dick Holthouse got a hold of him who got a hold of me and said, JP, call Dick, collect. Pick up the phone, call and collect. And I did. And he said, worst news, the guy changed his mind. And I said, why did he change his mind? This is the last minute. He goes, well, inflation in the United States, 12.5%. Unemployment, 10.5%. Interest rate 17%, and your hostages are still in Iran and haven't been released. We don't, and you're waiting in line for gas. We don't know about the future of oil and gas, and that has a lot to do with petrochemicals and plastics, and everything else. He said, I'm sorry, I just changed his mind. So we had zero. And I just had a few bucks in my pocket, a few hundred bucks. That was it. My mom lived in LA, but I was too proud too proud to say, Mom, I'm broke. Can I have my bed back? My room is still available. Feed me. I was too proud. So I just went over to her house and said, Mom, can I borrow about $300 from you? And she says, Why? You make good money. I said, Mom, I'm starting a new business. I'll give it back to you in a month. Okay, here you go. Hey, you want to stay for lunch? Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, and I just stayed in my car. I was just too proud to tell my mom that everything went wrong. That's how we started. Then I learned. I learned how to live off of two dollars and fifty cents a day. Ninety-nine cents went to the freeway cafe for what they called the biker. Or I'm sorry, the trucker special. If you went there after 9 o'clock, where nobody went after 9 o'clock, it was right by the freeway. And before 11 o'clock, the the lunch crowd, for 99 cents, it was called the Freeway Cafe. You got one egg, your choice of one piece of bacon or one sausage. I took the sausage. It was bigger. One piece of toast. And then your choice of orange juice or uh, coffee. And that was my breakfast. And then I learned how to, and that was 99 cents, right? And then I learned to, and it's one of these places you walk up, they give it to you, walk outside and you eat it. And then I found a way to be able to eat off of a dinner for like a dollar, a dollar and a quarter. And what I did was somebody called El Torino, big restaurant chain, right? Yeah. Anyways, started something called Happy Hour. Virtually no business from four to five 30 in the afternoon. So they started this thing where 99-cent margarita wasn't Patron, but it was, a nine, it was a big margarita for 99 cents and uh, it wasn't invented Patron yet. Anyway, so 99 cents for the margarita. And uh, it was okay, but what was great was they gave you all these little chicken wings or the salsa and they would switch up. Well, you know, you get about two or three bowls of salsa and 20 chicken wings and you are just full as can be. And my kid, who a friend of mine was helping me watch, would come down with me, you know, and eat at the same time. And uh, it went really well. Then after three or four days, they kind of caught on. And the waitress came over and said, you guys are down and out, aren't you? we said, yeah. And I told her the story. Pretty soon an enchilada would arrive along with our margarita. But I remembered them. And I came, when we started making some money several years later, I was able to afford it. I came back and I tipped everyone in that restaurant, the biggest tips they've ever had in their life,
1: for helping me out when I needed a helping hand. What were you telling yourself during that time when you, you have no money, you are living in your car? Like, what were you telling yourself and how'd you get out of that situation? Well, when you're really down and out,
0: the next thing you should think about is not why you're down and out and how bad things are because that's yesterday's newspaper. If you do that, you're stuck in the past. You can't change yesterday's newspaper. So what I just did was I just thought ahead of what's the next thing to do tomorrow? What's the next thing after this? Who do I call next? How do I make another sale? That's, that was all my mind. And I would say the same thing to anyone that's down and out or homeless. You can't change yesterday's newspaper. And what slows most people down is they're stuck in the past. Something happened to them. They got fired. They got a divorce. Somebody said something to them that hurt them, you know, or today over the internet, they just destroy people, unfortunately. But uh, all of a sudden, they're stuck in the past. It's on their mind before they go to sleep. It's on their mind all the time. Well, now you're thinking power is behind you. You can't change it. You got to think ahead, what is next? And forgive everyone that's done you wrong. Forget every jealousy that's ever in your mind for every regret that I wish I would have done that differently. You can't change it. Forget it all. When it comes in your mind, just forgive it. Forgive yourself. Forgive Joe Blow. Forgive everybody to your mind. You don't have to tell them personally if you don't want to. Just forgive them. You're a jerk. That was the past. I'm not going to carry around anymore. And
1: if it comes to your mind again, just say, nope, that's my past life. Get out of here. Let's move on. And so what did you do with Paul Mitchell? So you didn't get the money, but you have a great partner who knows how to do hair care. How did you guys get the business going? How did you actually like... Oh, I'll give you the nuts and bolts of it. So anyways, everybody knew that
0: we were going to do really well. How did everyone know that? Well, because I was vice president of a couple of major companies in the beauty industry. And Paul Mitchell was a real avant-garde hairstylist that kind of set the trends for somebody called the crimpers, where you come in like Videl Sassoon had the Videl Sassoon. Yeah. the crimpers. You come in, you get a haircut, and it's just cut kind of a certain way. You blow dry your hair, and you walk away. So Paul was really a well-known innovator. So we had it behind us. So I would go to a company like Sedco, this is 1980, where I bought my bottles. And the initial order was 100,000 bottles. I'd have so many of this, so many of this, so many of that. We had three products to come out with. And uh, I did the same with the silk screener. Buy the bottles, go to the silk screener. And then we found a lab that would make our product for us. The formulation I put together with friends of mine because I'd been in the industry. So that was quite easy to do. Anyways, uh, so we had that well, now we have no money. So I picked up the phone and I called Setco for starters. And I said, you know, let me have a sample order of only 10,000 bottles. And I think they were seven and a half cents each or no, five cents each and then two and a half cents to screen them, two cents to screen them. So anyways, I said, can I have a sample order of only 10,000 bottles? They go, oh, sure. That's understandable. Yeah. Sample order, of course, same price, same everything. I had arranged for 30 day credit. This is prior to, you know, not having any money. Went to the silk screener, did the same exact thing. Went to the filler, did the same thing. It took two weeks to go from the bottle guy to the silk screener to the filler to have product. Two more weeks left and the first bill was due. I just grabbed the bottles and I went straight up a street called Ventura Boulevard in North Hollywood, California. A lot of beauty salons, knocked door-to-door, beauty salon to beauty salon. And we chose beauty salons because we knew that we had no budgets, period. Even if we had a budget, salons, if you had a real good hair care product, even in a very competitive industry, would know what was really good and different for them. So what we created was two shampoos, shampoo one and shampoo two. What was different about them? Shampoo one was for normal to fine or color treated hair, very gentle, but you only needed one shampoo, not two, save time and money. And then shampoo two was for normal to thick or oily hair and saves time and money, one shampoo. The third product was the conditioner, still one of our great sellers, a conditioner you leave in your hair if you're a hairdresser, you could cut it easier. You could style it easier. It protect a little bit against heat damage and things like that. And it only it went on instantly. And you can show your customers what you're doing and not waste 10 minutes while the conditioner is taking place. And that's how we did it. And uh, my sales pitch was very simple. I would tell them how great our product was to the salon owner, and ask them if they would take a dozen of each and a couple of big 32 ounces of our shampoos for the back bar, and if they would do that. I would come on in, hold a little class, and guarantee them that within 30 days, if it's not every single thing that is the great thing that you like and you don't like it anymore or it didn't sell well off the shelf, I will come back and take every bottle back. Just take every bottle back. And I would show them I would take every bottle back. Hold it to me. That you haven't sold out the door or used, and give you your money back. Now, that's fair enough, isn't it? I would look them in the eye and nod my head. In most <laughs> all cases, they go, no. <laughs> and they for good reasons, they said, you're basically an unknown to the world and to most of the hairdresser world, okay, other than the business people know you. Uh, but some of them know you, they know Paul a little better. But you know, we have all these other big lines now, but thank you anyways. I would come back and say, I could appreciate that because I would do exactly the same thing I were you. But I know you're going to be so successful that if you'll only take six of shampoo one, six of shampoo two, six of the conditioner, and just one each of our 32 ounces for the back bar, if you'll just do that, I will come back and make this agreement with you. Let me come in and tell your people how to use it. and I'll help display it at eye level. And if in 30 days, You're not totally happy. I'll come back and take every bottle back you haven't used or sold off the shelf and give your money back. Now, that's fair enough, isn't it? And if they would say no again, which many of them do, I'd reduce it down to three. So let's put it this way. Pounding on doors like I did when I sold encyclopedias door-to-door, it took me about a week. And within about a week, maybe a little over, I finally sold 12 different salons, anywhere from about $25, $30 to maybe $125, $130. I had 12 checks, right? Right but I did not let him fill out the top line just the amount and gave the product from the back of my car. Then I went to a distributor of uh, Speedy Supply and said, hey, Paul, man, look at our new product. You know, got all excited about it. And the, the guy gave me a, an audience, but he said, he laughed. He said, JP, he says, you guys are doing really cool. You only have three products. You have no advertising budget. I can't take you on, JP. We're Parasite Speedy Supply. We're, you know, Helene Curtis, all these other big lines we have. You want me to build your line for you without any help other than buying it, and you go in the field with me a little bit. And I said, Yes, sir, but I'll be in the field every day with you. And we were really hard up. So I said, if you'll only buy two thousand dollars worth, only two thousand, I'll have you an exclusive from LA County to the Mexican borderline. We were really we need money. He laughed his head up and said, I really can't because I have no really reason to pick it up, JP. That's when I pulled out of my pocket 12 orders. I put them right in front of him. And I said, because those are your first 12 customers. I've already sold them for you. I've already collected your money, and I'll be here to sell the rest. He was blown away. I said, okay. He says, I can't refuse this one. I'll give you a chance, but you better be here when the product arrives. I said, one more thing, Jim, because we're just starting out. Can you pay me when the product gets there? And he laughed his head off once again. And he told this story at our 25th anniversary. He came to talk to all of our distributors. And Jim Henrietta was his name. And he said, all of a sudden, I said, it laughed his head off. I said, JP, we can't do this. We're Paris Speed Supply. We pay our bills in 45 days. I said, I'll tell you what. We really need it. I'll be here every day. I'll give you an extra 5% discount. I already worked that into the price before I got there. So I started something new in the beauty industry, an extra 5% off. And he goes, okay, laughed his head off. And he says, and then within five minutes, my warehouse man calls me and says, some guy's here unloading products from the back of his car, wanting a check for 2000 He says, that was J.P. I said, oh, my God. He
1: went back, had me the check. I said, good luck, John Paul. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> and, of course, we made it. One thing I, I don't know if it's talked about is your sales. This, the, the sales, your positivity, and yeah. your persistence. I guess I'm trying to think for the, you know, other entrepreneurs and people on their business journeys, like, what would you recommend for them? And, and does, you're like, hey, i got a discount. You don't like this? I'll no, so do this. And, that's the perfect
0: question to ask me. And it's the perfect thing that I'd like to contribute to everybody. Number one, understand that we made a hell of a good product. We made the best product we possibly can. So your product or service has got to be the best. That's number one, okay? You don't want to be in the selling business. You want to be in the reorder business. Most people put something together, the package, can I sell it? Can I sell it? Mine was all about I want them to reorder it. So the product has got to be so good and the person that's using it, the hairdresser has got to really know it's good. Hairdressers know. They're the best people in the world to get advice for hair. Period. They're just none better. So they would know how good it is. So we knew that the product we had. The second thing is And probably as equally as important is be prepared for a lot of rejection because you're going to get it. If you're prepared for it, it's not going to affect you. It's like when I sold encyclopedias, the average age or time of an encyclopedia salesman after they were trained for no money, training is free, right? You don't get paid a dime, was three days. It's door-to-door commission only. But they told me something that made me successful in three and a half years, and I believed what they said. They said, a lot of you aren't going to make it. Some of you will. Those that will will overcome rejection. A lot of doors will be closed in your face. But on door number 50, you have to be just as enthusiastic as door number one. To have that same motivation, those are the guys who will make it. Well, for me, baby was door 101, okay? But I did. I kept up the same enthusiasm. As you do that, you learn more how to do things better, how to say things differently, and you get better and better and better, and the enthusiasm just never left. And that's how I started Paul Mitchell the same way, door-to-door with salons. And that's what I'd say to all entrepreneurs that two biggest things you'll ever need is that. A quality service or a quality product. A quality service, if it's a one-time sale or a product, if it's a one-time sale for whatever reason. If it's really good, they'll tell others. If it's something they could repeat... You've already put that into it. It's so good they'll want to repeat the order. Now you're in business. How'd you go from zero to your first million dollars in sales?
1: And You didn't have a marketing budget or anything? What were the stories no, well, and experiences after to do that? after two
0: years, we had a little bit of extra money so we could put a little bit into this, a little bit into that. And then a couple of years later, gosh, I think it would be about 1984, 1985, we grew quick enough where all of a sudden money was really coming in. We were able to, so by, 19, by five years in business, six years in business, my net worth was a million dollars. How did you go from zero to nine? Knocking on doors. And then after uh, six months, I was hired to hire. We had just enough to hire a secretary really cheap, Shirley Wong. She was wonderful. Didn't mind helping us out. And she did 10 jobs. My first field guy was a year and a half later. So we just kept on building the business and reinvesting everything. Everything we had, we reinvested. Never changed my lifestyle. I had an apartment to live in after that. But never changed my lifestyle until I had enough money to be able to survive on what I have, my bills paid in full, and no bills for me personally, and
1: enough money to put down on something. Do you remember any specific knocking on door experiences or stories that stick out during that early days? Oh, yeah, lots of it. Oh, of course, yeah. many. Would, they were nice. Some of them were like,
0: no, you know, talk to my salesman, not to me. Well, I am your salesman. We don't have salesmen, right? <laughs> anyway, yeah, but they, it was good. People were, were usually pretty friendly. Hairdressers are very friendly people. You know, there, there weren't that many that were, there were rude. Very, very few, if any, you know. Just the experience were just really, really nice people. And many of them became some of my best friends and some of our best educators
1: for the company. What's well, also interesting. I like the guarantee. I like the, the classes. One thing to, to come back on, a lot of people starting out businesses are talking, they think they do or they don't know if they want a partner or not. So how did that partnership come about, and, and how do you think people should look for partners in business? Or well, in with me,
0: Paul Mitchell and I were pals for nine years in the beauty industry. We were very, very good friends. In fact, a, a young lady, our mutual friend, Miss Eva Prang, introduced us to one another. Just thought we'd, I was starting in the industry, and Paul was really hot and heavy as a top educator in the industry and had a, a name going for himself. We, we became friends. And after nine years, we decided, hey, let, let, let's do our own business here together. And it was a perfect relationship with Paul and I i didn't do hair and he didn't do any business he was not a businessman but a top hairdresser top educator so we never argued about anything when it came to with hair and how to do things with hair or the classes paul Yep. Yep. You're right. 100% business. I was right on that one in most cases. So you guys had your
1: separate lanes that you
0: respected. Exactly. Yeah. And of course we crossed over. If he did a hair show, I'd be on stage with him promoting our products and trying to give people ideas how to be successful in salons and things like that. And we worked in it. Same thing. Paul and I did hair shows where he would be hired for a hair show and maybe get a room, right? He'd always ask for two beds. We'd get the $99 special to fly there at night so I could be there. He was already there because he was already paid to show up. I would come, take one bed, he'd take the other other bed so there was no cost involved with us other than to get me there period we would do a show we'd sell it right off the the floor and then we'd stay there for a couple of days with whatever distributor we had and go knocking on their customers' doors with the salesman,
1: they got us in a lot easier. And start presenting product. How do you keep your optimism during these times? Because you went homeless even twice, yeah. like, but and even today you seem very optimistic. Yeah, positive. Give me a little bit of that. Is it yeah. like? Is it the patron? Is it the hair care? Like well, what is I, it that? You, I don't know. You? I was, I was uh, as a kid, even
0: though we had nothing, I was always a pretty happy kid. I was always happy. I had a good mom that was, even though we had nothing, she was very supportive and was very encouraging. Anything we did right, she really let us know about it in a big way. So I think that's a little something to do with it you know, that I grew up in that environment, and I was and she uh, supported us. At seven years old, when I wanted to sell Christmas cards uh, around Christmas time, I read it off the back of a comic book. They send you a sample kit a little free. She was oh yeah. She introduced me a couple of her friends. I think I sold five different people Christmas cards. They would give me half down. I would send it in with the order and they would have the little kit. They would pick one of five, but their name would go into like, you know, Merry Christmas, the Jones family, whatever, whatever greeting they wanted, we'd print up for them. When I delivered it, they'd give us the other half of the money, which I get, to keep. You know, that one Christmas was good. (laughs) What was a low moment of one of these homeless periods? Oh, I would say realizing that first day that, oh my God, there's no money. I left everything behind. I've got no place to go. This sucks. That was a real low moment, but I got out of it quick saying, okay, we're going to make it happen. I'm going to make it happen one way or another. And then over the next couple of days, I figure out how to do it. What was that? Oh, what's called Sedco and say. Sedco, can I have a, t-
1: oh, a run of sample? only 10,000 bottles <laughs> instead of... No. I think what's what's really inspiring about you is that, I guess the word is, you're, you're in the field. You're never sitting on the sidelines waiting for it to no, go. happen to you and... I think there's something about that just in life. Like, hey, are you waiting? Like, hey, you're disappointed. Things didn't happen. Okay, what are you going to do about it? Oh, yeah. oh, I do the same with philanthropy. Like, right here in Austin, Mobilos and Fishes, I
0: show up, I talk to the people, I get in the garden, I make things happen. You know, I go talk to them, I touch things. My God, uh, keep Austin fed. I went down there and helped them deliver some food. You know, I, I try and get involved physically in these things, not just financially. So I feel like I'm really a part of it. And it makes me happy. You know, whenever you do something for somebody else, and ask absolutely nothing in return. And it doesn't have to be monetarily. It could be just helping somebody out, right? You get the greatest high in the world, higher than anything you could ever smoke. It's a real cool high,
1: and it's cheap. (laughs) Just be kind and nice. (laughs) And I think one of the things that definitely sticks with me that I think other people can definitely benefit and learn from you is just like one facing rejection, but also finding a product you believe in and putting yourself out there to educate. I think you say sales, and you're an excellent salesperson. It was interesting even how you walked through selling Paul Mitchell, but it was, educating people and saying, let me teach you a class. Let me guarantee that you're going to exactly. do well. Exactly. That's being part of the reorder business because I
0: can't be in there selling it for them. It's something on the shelf nobody knows. I needed the hairdresser to use it and know how to show it to their customer. So for example, when I went in and gave a presentation, they didn't know what I was showing them. I'd show them shampoo one, shampoo two, let them smell it a little bit right. And then when I got to the conditioner, wow, the conditioner. Okay. This is my first product, right? This is, 43 years old right now. What I would do was this. I would take and I'd say, let me show you something amazing. Watch this. I put it in my hand, right? May I have your hand, please? Yeah. I'd say, now let me tell you about this conditioner, right? Now I've got your attention, (laughs) right? And I would always hold it like a gem because it was a gem product. I'd say, let me tell you about the conditioner. And then I would hold it here and like this. They don't know what the heck to do with this, right? But I got their attention. Okay. I'd say the conditioner is a moisture treatment, a protein treatment, a nucleic acid treatment, lets you cut the hair easier and slip. And then it's instant. You put it in your hair. It's incredible for your skin, by the way, unbelievable for your skin, especially as a hairdresser with all the chemical things you may be using. Your, by the way, rub it in your hands. Very good for your skin. Rub it on in there. Very, very good for your skin.
1: Going I put there. it
0: Yeah, so you know, really? You know, just nice. Yeah, there you go. You know, and all of a sudden, they're part of my presentation. So when I would go in there That's and really hold good. the class, I would explain to the hairdresser, when they're at the back base and say, on your hair, because it's fine hair, we're going to use shampoo one. That's what we're going to use on your hair is shampoo one because it's a special shampoo for you. So now the customer thinks the hairdresser really thinks they're special. And then when they're sitting in the chair, get your customer's hair, put a little bit in there, and tell them what this does. And at home, they can do
1: the same exact thing, and it's good for your skin. Yeah, feels so good. <laughs> now I've
0: incorporated them into it.
1: It uh, reminds me of a story about the guy selling glass. You heard, so they, there's a guy trying to sell glass or hammers. And he goes to them and he's like, all right, let me show you this hammer and he breaks the glass with it and then everyone copies him because that's the best way you can sell the hammer and then he then gives the person the hammer the next sale and says, you break the glass. So actually giving them the product to experience yep. it. Powerful way of getting them involved. Who
0: cleaned up the mess? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but it's, it's
1: interesting to involve your customer there. Well, one thing, you know, the, the jumps are still pretty insane going zero to a million. How did you go from a million to, I think you guys do a billion dollars a year now selling product? Like how did you guys go from a million to a billion a year?
0: Well, Liz, but this we we don't really give out our information because I'm very, very low-keyed about what we do. Reinvest. All the money that came along, we reinvested and did good things for the hairstylist and then started schools we have over 100 schools, uh, Paul Mitchell schools. So you turn the new Mm -hmm. hairdresser how to be a great hairdresser and be successful. Well, of course, we're doing with Paul Mitchell products and our knowledge. And we also went into education. Besides the education of how to use our products, we went nationwide. At one time, we had, I think, 850, what we call associates, that worked for us part-time top hairdressers that we taught to be stylists. They would hold classes for everybody on the latest hairstyle, the latest techniques, the latest business ideas. So we We kept ourselves involved in the company to help our customer become more prosperous because we're there, be better hairdressers, better business people. And that certainly contributed to our growth tremendously. Because you guys were the underdogs.
1: I mean, you guys were like, there's all these
0: major companies out there. I think today, Paul Mitchell, his hair care company, again, we just don't give out our information. It's private, but we happen to know that. uh, We believe it is the, the largest privately owned salon hair care company in the world. So a lot of us through hard work, believing in yourself, but taking care of the customer, not just say, well, hell, let's just make a lot of money, keep on selling. Let's not renew it. It's like people that have research and development. Of course you want research and development. You want to always improve. We always try and help out as much as we can. And the company grew quite rapidly. And we're just talking about only Paul Mitchell, not even
1: Patron. Well, let's let's, let's get to Patron. I mean, one thing I want to understand though is that it doesn't seem like you've hired like 10,000 people directly in terms no, of who you report none. to like what is your sweet spot and like how do you, how do you organize these billion dollar businesses you have two of them <laughs> or it doesn't seem like you've actually overseeing so many people. I was trying to understand. Well, it's very easy. When you start
0: out, we couldn't afford anybody. (laughs) But I couldn't do everything. So finally, Shirley Wong would do 10 jobs. A year and a half later, from the time I started the business, we had enough to hire one salesperson. So we did it as we could afford it without hurting the growth of the business. But we didn't have the money to grow fast. So that's how the whole business grew, little by little by little by little by little. And we just learned how to move off fewer moving parts. That's my way of doing business, fewer moving parts. Hold, handle a piece of paper once. Have one person do what they should be doing, but don't hire three people to do the, per, the job of one person. And I knew that because I did everything when we started, everything but doing the actual hair and hair shows. I did, so I know what it was like, so I could get somebody and give them two or three things to do knowing it's really easy because I did 10 or 15. I'd show my example.
1: There's something just so much about your teaching, making your customers successful, educating, and the more you help them educate, the more they're like, well, oh, I need to have these products to then help me be successful.
0: And I like these guys. They're behind me, not just selling me. There's a lot of good products out there, a lot of good products out there, but we're different. One, we're all for the hairdresser, all about the hairdresser's future, business-wise, and as a top stylist. And that's what we support, which the others don't do it as much
1: as we do it. They do very, very little compared to us. You were mentioning Patron. Let's get into that. So how did the idea for Patron come about? I heard there's like a pre-order story in Mexico. No, I
0: was just sitting around. This was, uh, oh, the late 80s, uh, 1989. I just sitting around with a friend of mine, uh, Martin uh, Crowley, and I put him in the architectural business. He was an architect. It just went bankrupt. A friend of mine turned me on to him. He's just a nice guy. Went bankrupt in the hospitality business. JP a great architect. He's got a good idea for a business. Go to Mexico, buy pavers and furniture, Come back and sell it to restaurants or architects for their model homes, a little niche business, right? We were doing okay on it, and I was starting to build a house for my whole family in California, in Malibu, a big one, Uh, because we we were making some good money at that time. So I said, Martin, when you go down, you got to buy some papers for me, some some stone for this house. Uh, While you're down there, Martin, find out, because we were drinking a little bit of tequila at the time, right? But it wasn't. Patron tequila, where you know we take a shot, ah, you know where's the lime or where's the salt. It wasn't quite as tasty, shall we say, or beneficial to the throat as the tequilas are today, the newer ones. Anyway, so Martin came back with this long bottle, uh, you know nondescript, had a horseshoe on it, and uh, he said this is what they're, a lot of them are drinking down there. And I thought, wow, that's the smoothest tequila I've ever had. You could actually sip this a bit. He goes, yeah, but I ran across this guy named uh, Francisco Alcarez. He's a chef of tequilas. He could make it smoother. I said, well, let's check it out. He went back down, brought me some back. And it was, ah, man, this is smoother, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to bankroll this, Martin. Let's order 1,000 cases. That's 12,000 bottles. And let's see what we could do with it, right? And then Martin found this bottle, which is still the Patron bottle of today. Found it out of recycled glass. It was a gift bottle, right? And I said, if we make these in quantity where we have recycled glass and it's in recycled cardboard boxes? You know, so we're really into it. He goes, yeah, we could probably arrange that. And we did. We were able to pull that off. Anyways, nobody would take us. Nobody wanted the product. Everyone we ran across said, I've never tasted anything like this, but it's way too expensive. The average tequila in 1989 was uh, around $5 a bottle. I think the best one was $14 if you could find it we had to sell ours for $37.95, way more than anybody else. They said no. I walked into Spago's restaurant. Wolfgang Puck was a friend of mine, and Spago's was the restaurant in Beverly Hills to go to. And I gave him, I said, oh, JP, this is good stuff. I said, would you serve it to your celebrity friends? He said, of course, it's the best, because they were known as the best of the best. So Wolfgang Puck gave me a great break. He brought it in, served it to all the celebrity guests. Pretty soon I knew Bruce Springsteen is on the road, and with his main, uh, a saxophone player, they're bringing a case of Patron with them on the road on every concert they want to do. Well, that was pretty cool. And then Martin knew the guys at Bob Cantina, Marina Del Rey. He got them. So we finally went to a wine company. This is a wine company. All they sold was wine. And we said, would you take on our spirit? And they said, we don't sell spirits, we only sell wine. We said, well, the other guys don't really want to get into because it's really an unknown name. Uh, they don't want to get into tequila. We said, but we'll, work with you to sell it. JP will come in. You know, I will come in. I'll hold your sales meeting. And by the way, if you will take it on, we'll give you Spagos and Baja Cantina. You're kidding. You can get us into Spagos? Yep. We already did, right? So we didn't want to tell them that. Yeah, we got in Baja Cantina. So they said, okay, but you got to show up the next day. After a little over a year, we dropped them. All they sold was just a little over a thousand cases that's for the whole year, a little over a year. So we dropped them. And we took on a big company, a great big company, like Jim Beam. They were big, where we would sell to Jim Beam. And they would sell through their distributors, whoever they sold Jim Beam alcohol to. And they were really great guys. So we thought, boy, we're going to get really big with them. Well, after another year or two with them, they had sold about 12,000 cases a year. So we met with them, nice people. And we said, guys, we think we should do forty or 50,000 cases a year. You're big. You got the distribution. And they were very kind. They said, guys, let's tell you the truth, okay? No one's ever come out with a tequila like this before, right? Guys, you're just too expensive. You have the best tequila ever. There's no doubt. That's what we think. But it's 30, by that time, it was up to 38 95 No one's going to buy it, JP. Very few people will buy it. The most you will ever sell, the most you'll ever sell is 20,000 cases a year. We didn't believe it. We dropped them and went on with Seagram's. Kept Seagram's for a few years, and they got it up to about 70,000 cases a year, and we thought we could do a heck of a lot different. So by that time, we were making pretty good money. We went to court and bought them out of their contract with us, just bought them out. It was millions of dollars, but we had it, and we gave it to them, barred what we didn't have, and we took it over ourselves, and then all of a sudden, it just took off. So a lesson that people learned, this one product that was too expensive that nobody wanted or a big person thought, and they, were, they had right that all the statistical data, is no one could ever approach that, right? But all of a sudden, it took on, and people wanted to treat themselves to the very, very best. When I sold Patron about five years ago, we were approaching four million cases a year. I think just our tequila alone was about three and a half million cases of that. And obviously, as you probably know, it's public record. It went for the largest amount ever within the uh, Spirits company. But, you know, so you, you don't believe what people tell you. You believe yourself. If someone tells you something that's real, there's no reason not to believe them. But if they tell you something negative, question it. What do you feel in your own heart? What do you feel can be done? And just go for it. Look at how many times Sylvester Stallone pitched Rocky and nobody wanted it. He didn't give up. He kept on going and going and look some of these guys in the internet industry, how they just pushed and pushed and pushed and give up. And all of a sudden they made it. So a good portion is no matter what the rejection is, keep your eye on the target, ignore the trivia many, and just pay attention to the vital few and get rid of all the baggage
1: off your shoulders. I've had Patron and this is a bottle from my house. You just think, oh yeah, like he's already famous with Paul Mitchell. He came up with the thing, threw it out there, Boom, success. Oh, no, we worked
0: it. Oh, no, we knocked on doors. I mean, even after we got our distributor, I went out and knocked on doors.
1: You know, I knocked on doors with them. We went out there with the distributors knocking on doors. That is awesome. The parallels I'm hearing is that you have to have something that you believe in and is great. Like if you had an okay tequila and you're trying to knock on doors, it's probably no matter what you believe is not going to do that That's
0: right. That's correct. We, we had the best, just a matter of enough people knowing it. I mean, an example is some great people like Clint Eastwood did me one hell of a favor. He's a nice man. He's a friend of mine, right? And I think this is like 1992. We were maybe business two, three years. He does a movie. He calls me on the phone. And says, JP, are you still going out with that Eloise? I go, Yeah, I sure am. That's my wife, by the way. Okay. I said, Yeah, I'll probably marry her. She's incredible. He goes, Well, I'm gonna help you get her, right? He says, I want you to come down to the premiere of a new movie I have. And uh, I want you to come as my guest. I said, Oh, that's great. I'll bring her with you. I said, Oh boy, go to premiere of a movie, because I hadn't done those things in my life. So I take her down to the premiere of the movie. Clint is nowhere around. He's elsewhere doing a promotion in New York or something, right? But the producer met me, he said, Oh, we've been expecting you, and he gave me seats right right next to him, right in the middle of the theater, next to the producer, free popcorn, I'll never forget, and free Pepsi. Usually you find Coca-Cola, right, in the theater, Pepsi. And I thought, boy, this is cool. I'm next to the producer, got free popcorn, free Pepsi. I'm the man, right? That wasn't it. We watched the movie. He never said a word to me. We watched the movie. The only thing he drank in the movie was Patron Tequila. And the most hottest scene in the movie is he the terrorist on the phone he was a secret service agent right he the terrorist on the phone and uh he's sipping Patron while he's trying to talk the guy out of, <laughs> out of killing the president of the united states that was in the line of fire in this movie i mean just some, some really cool people jumped up and people that i knew and all of a sudden just somehow just got it out there for it they helped us out and another big help was hairdressers we would have a seminar every year and about 3,000 top hairdressers would come to it and we would serve them all Patron free. They would go home and ask for it. And at first, they didn't have the, the, it out there. But then when the salesman finally got around and we finally got a sales distributor in that area and they finally got around to liquor
1: stores or clubs, go, yeah, people are asking about that. Is that what it is? And it took off. So hairdressers helped out a lot, too. Was the motivation the money? Because that doesn't sound like it for you with these different projects. What, what was the No, it was to? just, I thought it was the best. Like Paul Mitchell, the best in hair care. But Trout,
0: the very best in tequila at the time. I like to have something that is really the highest of quality. How did that feel
1: for you when you sold for billions of dollars, the, the highest ever?
0: Oh, it felt great. I would not even give out information, but it was public knowledge. That's the only reason I'm talking yeah, about Yeah, it. we, we saw it was like
1: over $5 billion yeah. is what it
0: sold. They valued the company, yeah and over 5.1 billion, but it's, that's public
1: knowledge. How did you enjoy the the sale? Like, how did you enjoy the money that that came in from the outside? Well, of that first, plant? I got to write a big check to the
0: federal government. You know, a huge <laughs> one. You know, I mean, like you know, <laughs> approaching a billion dollars. I mean, yeah. Well, I own 70 percent of the company, so when you sell some, even with capital gains, it's a big tax. So I had to write out a check to you know to the For federal a billion dollar. Oh, yeah. So, I was one happy Texan, man. I came down here with all my friends and we just had a, just a wonderful little celebration here.
1: Yeah. How did you enjoy it? I think that's, I think a lot of people are curious. Like, okay. You get it billions of dollars. What do you do with it? Oh, happy dance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing that I did was very first thing, I wrote a check
0: for $50 million that went directly to start the Peace, Love, and Happiness Foundation, help change Austin as well as the rest of the world. That's the first check I wrote, gave back. And, uh, I feel great because America still works, and I'm a big giver, as you guys know, and that's, that's public knowledge, too, that uh, I participate, not just financially, where, you know, and then it's millions of dollars in some places, you know, to, in this city even more, to just change things for people to make them better off. And I figure that if, uh, let's say, the good Lord, the, the creator of all of everything that we have here, whatever you want to call him, you call him God, you call him force, whatever you want to call that creator of everything, gave me that opportunity. And I think part of it was my destiny was to give back along the way and find new experiences and help others along the way things were so good for me why not help others so i'm I'm very generous in that area
1: yeah all the ad proceeds from this video we're going to donate to peace love and happiness cool
0: that's so cool man thank you by the way we can't take a donation I put together my charity so that only I put money in. It's a family foundation. So when people say JP, we want to, I said, no, no, this is my baby. I'll tell you things I'm involved in, and if you want to contribute to some of those, that's wonderful. Or if you have your own charity, that's great. Please say, hey, this is contributed because I interviewed JP and he wanted this to Ooh, go to you. I love that. You got a choice either way.
1: For me, I was like giving laptops to kids because computers have given me life. So Let's do that. Okay. Please
0: take whatever money you want to give and give it on behalf
1: of you and I. I love that. And tell them it's all because of peace, love, and happiness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. In addition to the charity, it is it is cool that you were able to have a nice house. I don't know if you have jets or, you know, I think a lot of people aspire for the money. Sometimes I don't know if people always enjoy the money. I guess I was <laughs> people are curious about it, like what that life is like outside of um, the donations. Oh, when I go on vacation many times,
0: a bunch of friends come with me and their wives. You're my pals, and they want to donate. Can let them donate anything. Just my way of expressing it. You know, I'm very, very happy. I, I think I enjoy it. Uh, I live a good life. I don't go overboard because I don't need to. The thing is, I don't have any need to. You know, I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful friends, and I'm just, I'm, I'm a lucky guy and a very, very happy guy to help out a lot of people globally, not just in our country, but other countries too. I think we feed about seven thousand orphans every day, and that's between our own personal money. And uh, money that our schools even have fundraisers and donate to Food for Africa. These feed, I think, about 17,000, but about 7,000 we're responsible for. These are all children that have died of AIDS or their parents are dying of AIDS right now. These are children that are one day old to maybe into their teens. We give them a place to stay. We give them an education. We give them proper food and we protect them so they have a chance in life of making it. And that's in South Africa on the eastern coast, not the <laughs> not most generous Austin. area right there because nobody paid any attention to them. In Mali, which is like a really deprived country, in the north of Mali, you got Al-Qaeda. In the south, you got ISIS. In the middle, God knows who's there right now, okay? But it's in and out. But we've already uh, given water. To 43 villages, we pay to drill water wells. Some of these people went 10 miles to get water every day. So they couldn't bathe every day. They'd have to walk also to do it. They couldn't be in agriculture. You drill them well, all of a sudden their lives have changed. They have all the water they want. It's right there. They go into agriculture now be self-sufficient. And in our That's country, awesome. I started Grow Appalachia in 2010, where I would take all these people unemployed in Appalachia and uh, give them a job. And what we gave them all was how to grow your own garden. I worked with Bria College. I spent all the money, hired some people full-time, a lot were volunteers. And it was all about, we're going to show you how to grow your own food and make money out of it. Number one, I'll buy you the equipment. We have the education, the seeds and all that. We're going to show you how to do it. That's phase one. You will grow enough food for yourself, your family, and we'll show you how to can for the winter. So you have food right through the winter. Phase two is this. After you've done that, now we're going to make you some money. Now you know how to do it. Grow more and sell it to local grocery stores or farmer's markets as locally grown organic produce. And you have an income. From there, we went to, hey, we'll give you a couple of chickens and a turkey. I mean, not a turkey, but a couple of chickens and a a rooster, right? All of a sudden, they had eggs. And then some of them went for honey. Now they're totally self-sufficient. A lot of them made a business out of it. That is awesome. Yeah,
1: I think we have now about 43,000 families eating off those gardens. For younger people that are interested in being entrepreneurs, starting businesses and having money to donate and create businesses and so forth, if someone's looking to aspire to make millions, even just like their first million, so that they can do stuff like this and, and live their own dream lives, like what advice do you have for someone who's just getting started in their their Well, year?
0: realize number one, that what does rich mean? My son came home one day from Trinity, the local school he went to here. This is you know, almost 20 years ago when he was in grade school here. And he said, the kids in school said, Dad, that we're rich. Are we rich? You know, like, you know, what what does that mean, Dad? And uh, he was in kindergarten. Uh, I explained to him, son, some people think rich means you have lots of money, okay? but you can have lots of money, but be a poor health and not happy. And that's not rich. Riches, are we happy as a family? Oh yeah, dad, we are. Are we healthy? Yep, we're healthy, dad. We're rich. You go back and tell the kids that, yeah, we made it. American dream happened for us, but riches really, are you happy and healthy? And if you and your family are happy and healthy, you're just as rich as we are. And people have to understand, rich or successful isn't. Did you, did you become a millionaire? Did you become a billionaire? Is that success? No. Success means how far have you gone in whatever you're doing? I was a janitor one time in high school, a very successful janitor. Stewart and Stewart's cleaner gave me a twenty-five cent a hour raise. When I was making a dollar and a quarter, I was done making a dollar fifty. For me in high school, I was one of the highest paid kids in the high school I went to. And <laughs> anyways, because there weren't any jobs for kids then, you know, and I was in high school. So I was successful janitor because I cleaned it better than anybody else. And Stuart was a tightwad. He wouldn't give you anything, but he saw it without me even telling him. <laughs> so success is how well do you do what you do, especially when nobody is looking? Do you wake up an extra half hour early because you find yourself working through midnight? Do you go to bed watching TV for the last two hours to get your mind things off of things, which is going to stop you from going to sleep? That TV has got to be off an hour before you go to sleep. Or would you read a book about success and go over what you could do the next day a little bit better than what you did before? Or how to knock on two more doors? Will you do it? Yeah. End of the day, no sales. What am I going to do? Knock on two more doors. Keep on going.
1: That's success. Successful people do all the things unsuccessful people don't want to do. Do you have suggestions or how you think people can find the things they want to work on? Or how do they get their customers? Like maybe some of the first steps. Because I think there's a lot of people, and maybe for you it's intrinsic, you're like, well, yeah, you find a great product. I guess I'm curious for that early stage.
0: Yeah, if you find a great product, first thing is, who's going to use it? you got a great product here, right, that you invented. But now the next thing is, who is your end user? Okay, who's that going to be? Now all you got to do is connect the two. Is there a distributor out there that I could sell to that will sell directly to the end user? Or what do I have to do to get on the internet to be able to sell to the end user? So you find the product, who the end user is, and try and customize it more for that end user. And then in between figure out how the heck you're going to get to them. Another thing is too money. The big deal is money. I had no money when I started. I needed money. I worked into my price a 5% discount already. I already had in mind, right? Because someone's going to say, no, we're not going to give you money up front. You're working into the price.
1: And this way, people give you money on the spot. Now you have money to operate off of. You've it's such an interesting life. To me, it's inspiring On the charity, the businesses you found, the, the, the family that your optimism What regrets do you have? Do you have regrets of working too much? Do you have any regrets around your career? Zero regrets. There's a lot of things in life I would have done differently. We
0: all would have done different things in life differently. But you can't change yesterday's newspaper. And that's something you got to get off your shoulder. All those regrets God, I wish I didn't say so and so to so and so, or I wish I would have done this differently and everything would be changed. You can't change it. And that's why you got to get it off your back. And I didn't know that at the time when I started the business because I was so focused on how am I going to eat? How am I going to get money to pay this bill? And I'm four days late. You know, that was my focus. But later on, I learned that you got to get all this stuff off your shoulder. All this stuff's got to get off your shoulder. Then you go forward with no past thoughts at all. We wouldn't be who we are today if it wasn't for the past. You want to be somebody different? You can't change the past, but you can change the future. We had a saying in the 60s, and that was this. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. It was our saying, and it is. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. What changes do you want to make? I'm doing a TV series right now, and hopefully, if everything goes well, it'll be shown by this fall. It's called Success of Unusual People. Take unusual <laughs> people, like mean, with un- weird backgrounds, right? How did they become successful? Some monetarily, financially successful, and others, they went from nothing to something and being great managers and doing something and happy in their lives. So, they'll have a variety of people. There'll be actors, there'll be actresses in there, there'll be some very successful business people you've never heard of in there, some you've heard of, and a lot of people that went from homelessness to being maybe the manager of 13 people within a year and a half. How did they do that? That's success. And I, like I think that. it's what the world needs now. You have a choice of what you watch on television. You have a choice. And wonderful lady co-host is going to be Elizabeth Vargas. Elizabeth Vargas, wonderful lady. and She has a hell of a background too from always being positive when she had some rejection in her life. She was just a perfect co-host of it. And uh, hopefully everybody will see success of unusual people coming up here, hopefully, uh, you know, in, in the fall. When you were starting out or even today, what books or resources or people did you turn to? The best book, I wish I had a mentor, and I didn't. I wish I had mentors. I didn't, okay? And I wish I did. My mom was the closest thing to a mentor, always encouraging us. But when I sold Encyclopedias door-to-door, it was the best training I ever had because it's hard. (laughs) It's hard. (laughs) If you don't do it, you don't make any money. But there was a book there that I think is one of the greatest books everybody should read. Everybody should read this book. And it's probably 90, 100 years old, this book. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. I give that book to anyone that I see really needs a helping hand dealing with people. And then I tell people also, and I tell your audience, when you talk to people, look them right in the eye. And if you feel uncomfortable looking them in the eye, look at them between the eyes or at their eyebrows. It looks like you're looking them in the eye. Don't ever give a presentation look everywhere else. You'll lose everyone's attention. Just little things. And smile, be happy, kind. If I ever had a secret to a lot of my success and relationships with people, it's kindness. I'm a kind person. And I've learned that throughout the years. After my wild biker days in my twenties, but that was a different time, right? Different story. I learned how just a wonderful kindness is. I was always kind of kind all my life, but even became kinder. Kindness is wonderful. You feel good, they feel good. When you talk to somebody, you talk to them with kindness. You don't talk down to them. When you want to help somebody
1: out, you do it because of kindness. How do you feel about yourself? I feel like there's times I'm not as kind to myself, and that's definitely something I've been working on the past year and a half. I like myself, and I'm becoming even kinder to myself.
0: you got to learn also how to be kind to yourself over time, you know, and spend some time with yourself opposed to doing something for everybody else. I'm getting pretty good at that lately. What's a great life to you? A great life is being happy and healthy. That's a great life, to be happy and healthy. I've got a... So people that I know, whether it's on Native American nations or just weird people that have absolutely nothing, but they're healthy and they're happy. And to me, that is just one really good life. I've seen just too many people that were extremely wealthy, but they weren't really healthy or happy. Great example of this is, uh, I'll give it to the audience, and you guys can look this guy up. He was probably the first billionaire that I know of anyways, and that was Jay Paul Getty Jr., uh, he started something called, uh, I think it was Occidental Petroleum or uh, all kinds of things. Wealth is in oil and gas. Came from Oklahoma, had a big castle in England, right? Big castle there. And the famous story of him was he picked up, he's the richest man in the world. He picks up his telephone bill once and sees there's a bunch of toll calls. We used to have toll calls. You guys don't have anymore. more. Where if you called across the city, you paid a few more cents. You called international, you paid more. If you went from London to East London, you paid a few more pennies more. So there's this chargers. He thought, well, they can't do. The on my phone he put a pay phone in his house so somebody wanted to make a telephone call they go on the payphone. phone anyways he had an interview one of the few interviews he ever had in his life and the lady asked him the question you've got to be the happiest person in the world would you have changed anything now he's up in years at this time right would you have changed anything in your life he says yes i would have changed and given the majority the majority of my wealth away he says, I'm the most powerful man in the world right now. I can change governments. I have so much money. I can change things, and I do. He says, but I haven't been happy. I've been married seven times. He even had a grandchild that sent in his ear with some guys with the mafia for, uh, you know, for ransom, right? He says, I, I've been married seven times, didn't love any of them. He says, I've been unhappy. It's too late for me now. I would have given the majority of my, my fortune away just to have been happy in my life. I was never really happy. Damn. Happiness, very, very important. And be kind. Being kind to others also is, is part of you being happy. If you're not kind, you're not going to be happy. Is there like secret access you get when you get to billion-dollar level? Is nope. there like a secret club you nope. get? Not, not for them. me. There's a lot that I'm invited to, but I've never joined. <laughs> <laughs> I've been invited to a few of those guys, but no, that's not, no, need. because you know, they're, they're mainly business clubs where we hang out all the time. You know, The only one that I joined was, uh, and there's I think about 187 of us, it's called the Giving Pledge. Where all of us have pledged in our lifetime, or after we die, a lot of them do it after they die, to pledge uh, whatever we have left of our wealth, fifty percent to change in the world, and uh, most of them are the United States people. It's called the giving pledge.
1: I like that.
0: And That's all about philanthropy, and you know that. But the other ones, there were more scientific organizations or business organizations that came to me. Where I'd have to be at meetings all the time, and that's just not my
1: thing in life, you know. And that's it can't be at meetings all the time. <laughs> I, I am curious, like, what is, what's your day like today? What are you up to today? Like, do you get up in the morning? I think people are curious, like, what are the days like? Of well, a lot people? of things
0: like businesses or enterprises I have going on, or even some charities that are in Africa or Europe, things like that, I will make calls They're in the Middle East. I'll make calls in the morning, too, obviously. Late at night, I'll go more towards the East. And that is just, my day is never the same. I mean, I'll wake up, I'll take several minutes, hopefully meditate a little bit and just be in present time. Drink a giant glass of water. Very important. Drink lots of water, guys. If you drink enough water, 50% of all diseases would be gone. What's enough water? Take your weight, like I'm 170 pounds, cut it in half, 85 pounds. Equate that to water and drink most of it in the morning. Because if you drink most of it, and a lot of it after three o'clock, you'll be, you know, going to the bathroom two or three times a night. So you try to drink most of it. So I drink at least 20 ounces of water as soon as I get up.
1: And then your days are never the same? Do you have it like fully scheduled? Is well, it like, okay, yeah, okay well, that, There's that, that,
0: different things. I have different things. I do different days, depending on what it is, you know, and a lot of it has to do with some of the charitable work that I'm doing here in Austin. And my head of uh, executive director of my Peace, Love, and Happiness Foundation will give me a little schedule of things I may want to stop by and see or homeless groups are going over. I could help feed them or give them clothes and things like that. I do stuff like that. You know, or business appointments that I might have. And there's a new business I'm working on right now that's going to change a lot of things uh, for a lot of people. Can't talk about them under a, a confidentiality agreement right now, but I work on a unique things like that. They're just things that'll just do a better good for the greatest number. And a lot of them are home-based here in Austin.
1: Yes, sir. You're, it's so inspiring. I, I think also just to be at peace. I, mean, I guess when I'm thinking about you, I'm thinking joy and peace. Yeah, you got it, joy and peace. Peace, love, and happiness. Exactly. I love that. Pleasure meeting with you here, Pleasure by the way, my friend. You. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. You betcha. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did sharing with you. It definitely made me feel more kind and generous to a lot of other people. And just being around JP was super inspiring. If you want to check out his organization, Peace, Love, and Happiness Foundation. Go to peacelovehappinessfoundation.org. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's go go-karting together. Go-karting pretty cool. And as well, if you have any feedback, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, wherever it is, at Noah Kagan, holler at me. I love hearing from you. I know Aaron and a few of you have sent me feedback about these episodes, about the TWAS episodes, which is coming out soon again. Thank you so much. Also, if you have not signed up and started using tidycal.com, it is free to use. I use it for talking to customers and scheduling that, as well as podcast guests. Plus, my buddies over at the Tropical MBA podcast are using it for their guests. So you can use it for a lot of different variety. There's no monthly subscription like other competitors. Go check it out at tidycal.com. It is free to use, highly recommended. That's tidycal.com. Also, if you're not on my newsletter, go to okdork.com and sign up. Y'all know what to do. We have exclusive content each and every week just for subscribers. That's okdork.com. Finally, a couple shout outs to the amazing team that helps put all this together, Jason at podcasttech.com for always being so funny with me and quirky in his European way on Slack. Thank you for making these episodes great. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, Jen, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Dork team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout out to the AppSumo affiliate marketing team, Megan, Emily, Eric, and Nick. It's just been so impressive to see. This is almost one of our number one channels of marketing And y'all have done a great job with the ambassador program, which you guys can check out yourselves if you want to promote AppSumo products and get paid. That's go.appsumo.com. Have a purposeful day. What's your favorite fruit?